On today's episode, clang, clang, clang went the trolley. But now, ho, ho, ho went Santa Claus. How's that for some witty wordplay? We are injecting some holiday spirit into the pod. I've been waiting all year to cover this one. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be. It is my privilege and honor to say that Miss Judy Garland has officially entered. The song will go on. We're covering the Christmas classic, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas from the 1944 musical, Meet Me in St. Louis. Want to hop on board this trolley? Let's go. Hello and welcome to The Song Will Go On, the podcast inspired by the songs, inspired by the motion pictures. The World's Fair is just a few months away, but first we must sing the saddest Christmas song of them all. I'm Sofia Matano, and usually I'm joined by my co-host Paolo Grassini, but I'm flying solo today. That is, except for my esteemed guest... Longtime listeners of the pod will know her well. She's an actress, a writer, and Warren Sheffield is calling her long distance to propose. Oh. It's Sarah Youngblood <laughs> from the blog Lemon Holiday. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Oh my gosh. Wow. I had such a huge reaction. I know. Uh, do you think anyone else understood that joke? Um, I don't know. Maybe two people. <laughs> and well, definitely readers of your blog will understand that. Do you want to tell the people a little bit about your blog Lemon Holiday? Oh, yes. Um. It is a classic film review blog where I try to uh, mix contemporary references to our standard tried and true blue classics. Um, I cover things from Hitchcock films to Judy Garland musicals. Hell yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm really, as you said, honored to be here today to discuss this treasure. So Sarah, before we get started... I know uh, I did pick this song. I will cop to that. But I want to know why you were down to talk about it. Well, it's my favorite Christmas song. Oh. Yeah. I know. Fun fact. Um, It's melancholy and wistful. And I think it captures, you know, as you grow older, your changing relationship to the holidays where you recognize that hard things can happen along with the festivities. Oh, that's beautiful, Sarah. Yeah. And also, I think we we will when we get to our song discussion, we will absolutely cover the different versions of the song mm -hmm. and the lyrical changes to oh, this song, yes. because oh, that yes. is an important distinction. Mm -hmm. yeah. Rarely do we hear Judy's original version. And actually, it was even sadder <laughs> before uh, they were forced to change it. This is true. So I'm not going to lie. When Paolo and I first came up with the podcast. I knew I wanted to do this song for the holiday season and we're finally making it happen. And you were my first obvious choice because I knew you'd get it. You know, oh, like and I, and you I would get it. <laughs> I truly, truly do. Yeah. yeah. And if the folks at home don't get it, no shame. That's what we're here for. Uh, so let's talk about the movie because I think some folks might be surprised to learn for the first time or relearn that this song originated in a movie. Usually Paolo cues me up for the film setup, but I, I got this today. Um, in honor of Paolo, I will do my least favorite bit that we do on the podcast. <laughs> so we couldn't talk about the song before we talk about, yes, it's creator, the movie. Alive, it's alive, it's alive. 
hope Paolo's happy about that one. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Meet Me in St. Louis is a 1944 American Christmas musical film directed by Vincent Minnelli. Irving Brecker and Fred F. Finkelhoff adapted the script from the 1942 novel of the same name by Sally Benson. The film stars Judy Garland, Margaret O'Brien, Lucille Bremer, and Tom Drink, among others. Basically, every performance in this film is fantastic, and I wish I could list all of them by name. Oh, but. yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. This was Vincent Minnelli's third film, though he dabbled in genres from comedies to melodramas. He is best known for his musicals. Meet Me in St. Louis, An American in Paris, and Gigi. There are others, but those are the big ones. His films have won the Best Picture Oscar twice, and he took home one for Best Director. Not for this film, though. Meet Me in St. Louis is set around the lives of the Smith family, namely the female offspring of the Smith family from 1903 to 1904. The Smiths enjoy their upper middle class life in the most amazing city in the world, St. Louis, Missouri. The World's Fair is coming, putting St. Louis on the map, and Esther, played by Garland, is working full time to get the attention of the boy who moved in next door. Nothing could possibly go wrong in idyllic St. Louis until... Mr. Smith gets a job in New York. Oh, my God. Ugh. Wow. Can the Smiths stay together or will the threat of the move divide them? The movie focuses on multiple vignettes over the year involving romantic partners, parties, Halloween pranks, questionably, we'll, we'll get to it, snowmen and trolley rides. Speaking of which, the film is also noted for its songs such as The Trolley Song and The Boy Next Door. But the song we're here to discuss today is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. A song that is so stitched into Christmas culture, but a lot of people don't know originated in this musical, so we're gonna change that. The making of Meet Me in St. Louis wasn't without its problems. It was given a generous budget of $1,300,095, but this increased to 1.5 mil after shooting delays. Almost half of the budget went to sets and music alone. I believe that, I believe that. I know, this, this, the sets in this movie are stunning. Reportedly, Garland was having health problems related to her amphetamine use and disagreements with the director. They found a way around them as Garland and Minnelli would go on to marry in 1945. They also found a way around his homosexuality. But <laughs> and also well, her multiple affairs with other cast members. Shh. Yeah, I mean, you know what? They had a deal all their own. It yes, worked for them did. for about three years yes. and we got Liza out of it. Oh my so. God, did we ever yeah. know? Uh, blessing to the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the two the two would go on to work on other projects together, such films as Zigfield Follies, The Clock, and mm-hmm. The Pirate. I would say you don't you don't need to tune into those necessarily. I think like Ooh, if you Oh, really? I would say do check out The Clock because it's Okay, one yes, The Clock. Garland's, that is not a musical yeah, as well. Yeah, it's one of her very few non-musicals yes. and it's just a beautiful beautiful small understated film. Yes, and Zigfield Follies while visually stunning at times is also quite boring. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's, it's just m- series of whatever someone wanted to put on the screen at the time. It's a lot and nothing at all. Exactly. <laughs> but you yeah. will see the lights of, likes of, I think it's Gene Kelly and... Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Lucille Ball. Um, Hedy Lamar. Okay, yeah. So yeah. if you want to just like put it on while you're doing stuff. <laughs> anyway, this is not <laughs> Zigfield Folly's podcast. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> the movie was a success. It made about $2.4 million domestically and internationally. The film was praised by critics for its use of technicolor and its wholesome story, comedic moments, and namely O'Brien's performance as Tootie, yes. the youngest member of the Smith family. Which I'm sure we'll get into. Absolutely. <laughs> the film was nominated for four Academy Awards, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, 
color in brackets, best music scoring for a musical picture and best song for the trolley song, not for this little ditty that we're talking about today. It was steep competition that year. Just to remind you, this was the year Gaslight and Double Indemnity came out. Oof. Oh, my gosh. And I think it's important to state that because, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm coming to you from 2023 and I'm like, yeah, they're old movies, whatever. But the fact that all of those movies lined up in the same oh, year kind yeah. of warps with my perception of time. Mm-hmm. Also, it's really cool that awards were separated by color and black and white. Then I just you got to love some movie uh, history. The changing times. I know. While Meet Me in St. Louis didn't win, Margaret O'Brien did win a special Academy Award. I believe it was the Academy Juvenile Award for this film. Yeah, which no She was also is. nominated for other movies in that category for the same year. So she was she, a busy girl. Yeah, she was a the child she, star to beat at that time. And you know what? I get it. Yeah. I get why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's dive into talking about the movie. First and foremost, Sarah, what is your connection to this movie? You know, it's really funny. I came to this movie really late. The first time Ooh. I saw it, I remember distinctly December 2019 because wow. it was the Christmas before the pandemic happened. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was it was funny because my parents um, brought it up where they were like, oh, yeah, make me St. Louis. And I was like, oh, never seen it. And they were really shocked. Oh. Um, I, I also I, I am also shocked. Well, I I've totally understand you being shocked yes um my parents i was like why are you shocked you know what all the christmas movies we watched growing up were so mm. like obviously you didn't show this one to me um i think it's more that they were just like oh you love classic movies like how did you not watch this one on your own mm-hmm. or like catch it on tv um so yeah so there was um one day during the holidays where we just like you know we went for a walk and then we're like why don't we just like make popcorn and like pour ourselves a glass of wine and watch this me and it was really funny watching it with them because they were like like I was like there's this whole other life that they had with this film and oh. I now also can't watch this movie without hearing my dad singing along to the trolley song oh. like, cling 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 goes the trolley yeah. <laughs> I love that yeah. and you know I, I it I was going to ask if mm. you consider this a Christmas movie I know in my setup I was going off of what Wikipedia said that mm. it is a Christmas movie I don't want to start arguing about the criteria of a Christmas yeah. film because Lord knows they play Harry Potter on TV every Christmas time. Yeah. And just because there's a Christmas tree in it, that does not a Christmas movie make. <laughs> but <laughs> I won't go down that rabbit hole. But when I was growing up watching this movie, I did not really associate it with Christmas. I watched it some random summer for the first time mm-hmm. when I was visiting my family in Fresno. And it was probably one of three VHS tapes that my uncle had at his house. Oh, that's incredible. And Uh, I played it and played it over and over again to the point where they were like, well, we have to let her take it with her because this is all she's done all summer is watch this movie. (laughs) Amazing. I love that. I I always loved Judy Garland, of course. Oh, my gosh. And my first introduction to her, like most people, is with The Wizard of Oz. Yes, same But I wanted to talk a little bit about that because, again, movie history context. Mm -hmm. The Wizard of Oz underperformed. Uh, It was nominated for six Oscars, and it won three of those. And even though it kind of jump-started Judy Garland's career, uh, it didn't make a profit on its first run. It only made back its budget and then was profitable when it had a rerun in the 40s. So at the time, 
Judy was best known for her work with Mickey Rooney. Like, if yes. you asked people at the time, mm-hmm. they'd be like, oh, yeah, Judy and Mickey, the dream mm-hmm. team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't seen any of these movies, but they're, they co-starred together in mm-hmm. 10 movies in yeah. total, I believe. And a lot of those were the Andy Hardy film yes. saga. I have not seen any of these. Oh, man. Okay, so... <laughs> talk about talking about a summer or maybe it was a spring there uh max had almost all of the andy hardy movies on mm. and i was like Ugh, why not and you know you know mickey rooney is uh, he's an interesting person mm-hmm. and really get into like the nitty-gritty of his like personal life and also i mean granted child star just right yeah you know like the trauma of that there's always an asterisk yeah, after someone's there, name after but, they've been through you that you know I, Watching it, I was like, wow, I like totally understand like the appeal of Mickey Rooney. Yes. Um, in a way that I hadn't before. And yeah, and him and Judy are magic on screen together. And I mean, out of any of the movies, their movies together, I w- actually wouldn't recommend any of the Andy uh the Andy Hardy movies. I would recommend Strike Up the Band though. Oh, okay. That actually is a wonderful film. Okay. Okay. Putting that on on the list. So after Wizard of Oz, Judy starts to she's maturing herself and she's also proved herself to be a leading lady Mm -hmm. so this movie meet me in st louis was her first like in real time big hit and she was only 22 when this movie came out isn't that crazy she's a baby i know and doing vaudeville before then too yeah Yeah, i know i i I don't want to talk too much about her her sad upbringing yeah. and how mgm completely like Ugh, got her addicted also to because, amphetamines and barbiturates yeah. if we talk about that then i'm just gonna start swearing about yeah i know Mayer, like nobody's business yeah. um but i guess speaking of childhood acting judy almost didn't do the film because she saw margaret o'brien and she was like she's gonna steal the show i'm not going up against this seven-year-old and like she's not wrong, wrong. i know i know <laughs> margaret yeah. kills it in this movie yeah. like the the like the fact that she understands every joke that she's delivering and does it perfectly i as a kid i'll i'll cop to it i was just like i like musicals and yada yada i did not understand how funny this movie was when i watched well, it well that was i, I am kind of grateful that i saw it later because yes. that was what i found so amazing about this film was Margaret O'Brien's character like first of all the writing of that character is so funny like, oh my god because she's she's a death obsessed like seven-year-old but all little girls are no that's you know what, that's like, why I was I, like I had funerals for my dolls no, no, no. I yeah. was like that's a form of girlhood that I recognize yeah I absolutely saw myself as a a little youngster in both Agnes and yeah, Tootie like totally. Agnes asks their housekeeper where her cat is and she's like Oh, yeah, whatever. Like, I, she says that she, like, killed the cat or something, know, like, as a joke. And then Agnes, joke. like, threatens to murder her in, like, <laughs> yeah. a very graphic very way. Graphic way. Oh and she also God. hopes that she's getting a hunting knife for Christmas. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, like, my yeah, this, yeah, this movie really treats the female characters so differently mm-hmm. than a lot of other movies, I think, that come after this as mm-hmm. well. Like I was so conditioned to like the the sister who's always right about everything and the mm-hmm. mom who's always so sweet. And like, yes, there is a father knows best element to this, but also the father knows the least, least of yeah. anybody in this family. And it is well known with everyone there, like in the 
sequence where Warren Sheffield is calling and the only telephone is in the dining room. So they all have to try to get the dad to eat an hour early without telling him that a boy is calling their daughter. And, you know, how (laughs) just how funny that all plays out. The women rule the roost in this film. They absolutely do. Um, He's... Yeah, he's just he's very absent minded and he's like living in his own world. And like, yeah. And yeah, like you were saying, the sister dynamics are so rich and, you know, they all really support each other. And and you get to see like a whole like kind of like the the young wildness that all like Mm -hmm. young girls have before they're really like, you know, socialize into normal gender norms. And then then you have like the older sisters who are kind of like on that, you know, threshold where they're like entering into like, you know, the traditional rules of women and and kind of how they buck up against that. Yeah. So there is, they all understand the rules. They all understand the the law of the land, but they do everything to manipulate things in their way. Like Esther hides John's hat in in the bread box so that she's able to give it to him later. And then then (laughs) she is like, Oh, come with me to turn out all the lights. Oh, I'm so scared. And then, <laughs> and then the second he leaves, she just turns them all back on. And like, <laughs> so funny. Yeah, and um, yeah. she's trying to get him so hard to kiss her, and bless him, he's so oblivious. He yeah, yeah, yeah. compliments her perfume mm-hmm. and says it's the same kind as his, his grand- grandmother. I know. <laughs> and she's like, okay, <laughs> okay, thank Thanks. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah the, the the female dynamics are so interesting because they are all operating in in these rules but they are doing everything they can to as you said buck up against them. Mm-hmm. Even Rose she's out to get ice cream and She's like, oh, I met this guy. And Esther's like, oh, you just, you, you bumped into him accidentally. And she's like, almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. And then when they like, they're on the Christmas ball is kind of thwarted for them and Warren asks out a different girl, which is also like, oh my God, the whole like, everyone likes the right person. But yeah. like, it, it also captures youth so well where it's like, you just are like doing the opposite thing than what you should be doing. Like, it's just so confusing to, like, be dealing with all those emotions and you're, like, playing games and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I had to look up what the dance card was because obviously that's not something that that we have here. But they filled out to sort of spite his date. They filled out. they gave the girl a bunch of losers to dance with. But when they realized that actually she's a nice person and actually she's going to dance with their brother Alonzo I think all the men in this movie are named Alonzo (laughs) then then poor Esther has to dance with all the losers I I love it the grandpa's like you know what you have to do yeah "Mm." (laughs) oh we love grandpa don't we oh my god grandpa's so good yeah (laughs) um yeah and then I mean going back to Judy though I do just have to talk about that whole Halloween okay yeah okay good yes let's talk about the Halloween sequence uh Before we dive in, I will say, I remember even as a kid watching this and being like, you know, I don't think that that was necessary. (laughs) Like, like putting on my Roger Ebert glasses and being like, they could have cut that. (laughs) Uh, And whoever is responsible for entertainment on flights to Denmark agrees with my young self because. Oh, really? I was on a flight to Europe and at first I watched some really depressing Norwegian movie. And then I was like, you know what? I think I need some 
good old fashioned American optimism. And I put this on and they cut the whole Halloween thing. Oh, wow. And I didn't miss it at all. I mean, plot wise, it's really just like a a deviation. Mm -hmm. The only problem is that we go straight to Tootie. She's hurt. We don't know why. We don't know why. I mean, I guess even the Halloween sequence doesn't explain why in the moment. And she just comes home saying that John Truitt tried to kill her, which is was like a bit of an excuse me. But even with the Halloween sequence, like I don't understand why she did that. But why she singles him out. She's yeah. like, I'm gonna be mean. I know. <laughs> but yeah, so it is a curious sequence. I don't think it's anybody's I favorite. Mean, it's fast. Yeah, no, no, no. It totally I felt traumatized uh the first time that I saw it, even as an adult. Um <laughs> but part of it is like, uh, it is such an effective you know, piece of filmmaking, like the cinematography of it is gorgeous. Like, like just like if you're just looking at it from that standpoint, it's it's beautiful. It but, is. It is. But it it just like begs so many questions. Like, I should have done the research to be like, is this what Halloween was like in the early? 1900s? I mean, they were not trick or treating because they were. I was like, who let these kids create a bonfire out of furniture in the street unsupervised? Like, it's insane. And then it's like they're like, oh, let's fill up some bags with flowers and go harass the neighbors. But not just harass them. They think that they are killing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's- like they're like, I'm gonna go kill so and so, and you know, like they're and then uh, Tootie has to go. I think they call it, his name is Mr. Brockoff. So they're like, oh, he's the big bad of the neighborhood. Yeah. And to kill him, you need to yell, I hate you, and then throw a flower in his face. Yeah, I know. And they have this whole, like, insane story about why, like, they've totally made up. Or they're like, again, it's always about cats. I was like, there's a lot of cat humor. There is a lot of cat humor. a dark cat humor that as a cat mom, I did not Mm. appreciate. Where they're like, like, he kills cats and, like, abuses them. And I was like... Oh God! But then I it's know. like you and see then the, the, man? the big bad after that was that he has whiskey bottles in his cellar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so funny. I was like, yeah. um, you led with the yeah. hardest thing, you yeah. know, like the whiskey bottles, whatevs. Yeah. <laughs> like, but then it's like you do see him. I think what's funny about that is like is the because he laughs at the end of it. Like yes. he like is like, oh, this is what the kids do, and you you can tell like, oh, he's a nice guy he, and they yes. totally like made up this whole fantasy around him i will say what really works about this sequence is it is entirely from the point of view yes. of these you know seven to mm-hmm. maybe 13 year olds yeah and except for the little piece that we get with mr brockoff kind of shrugging off the, right, the right, kids right. Yeah, yeah but it is such a good representation of this sort of alternate reality fantasy world that kids really dip into and the things that they really believe Mm -hmm. and just how funny these girls are and how morbid they are i think that their Mm -hmm. halloween costumes are agnes says she's a horrible ghost and i'm a terrible drunken ghost (laughs) like sarah for halloween next year can we go as a horrible ghost and a terrible drunken ghost oh my gosh absolutely i called dibs on the ghost Uh. (laughs) so for a portion of this story, we are led to believe that John Truitt is like a murderous child hitter. <laughs> like, yeah, our... like for like 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah, it really has you going. Like I was like, whoa, we took this turn. They also, the, the doctor makes a house call and they're like, he's like, what seems to be the problem? And they're like, oh, John Truitt hit her, doctor. And he's like, all right, let's take a look. Like no one, no one uh, is nearly as horrified I as know, Esther. I know. But you know what? Good on Esther. She's been obsessed with this boy for months. And yeah. the second her her sister says this she goes home and she 
wails on him. Like she yeah. gets some good punches in. She really does. Yeah. And her dress gets ripped. I and, know that yeah. beautiful dress. And I also know. she very proudly announces, I bit him. <laughs> I know. It's so saucy. It's so great. And I think Tootie goes, I bit him too. <laughs> Oh, man. I know. But then the reveal of like how it actually happened is also like 10,000 times worse because it's like they're like, we made a fake body and we like put it I in know. front of the trolley. I, <laughs> I was like, you almost cause a bunch of people to die. Yeah. Like, like if, that is vehicular manslaughter yeah, like somehow. That, yes, I know. Like if if that trolley was like had like seen that and thought it was a real person and tried to avoid it and then like tipped over like yes. you seven year olds are responsible. Responsible for yeah. that. Like, and John Druitt hid them. <laughs> like I he know. was standing up for them. And then I know what a backstabber these I girls. Know. But also that's that's true. Like I can see some random <laughs> I don't know why she did it. It's not explained, but I can see a, a kid just, her age I lying about that. It's just getting caught up in the horror of Halloween. Yeah. You know, and specifically that version of Halloween. Let's talk a little bit about John Truitt. Yes. He's probably the low point of this movie. I mean, he's just a guy. He's um a, he's a good a old boy. Of, yeah, of a wet noodle. Yeah. A little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He did win me over a little bit when he kind of does that callback it right after the Halloween nonsense and then Esther comes and apologizes to him and he asks her to turn off all the lights with him, yes, but yeah. they're already off. So he says we could turn them on and like, I don't know. It's super cute. And then they do yeah, get, yeah. get a smooch in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he, yeah. he won me over with that. So at least he he's not totally blah, but he is pretty blah. Yeah. I feel like the first time I saw it, I was like, Ugh, whatever. Like he's cute, but whatever. Yeah. This time watching it, I felt a little bit more like, oh, you know, he's a teenage boy. Like, yes. He just doesn't really know what he's doing. Totally. You know? Yeah. Like, he is completely like, oblivious to all of yeah, her advances. Like I kind of felt like watching it this time that I went, he's going to grow into himself and mm -hmm. he will, he'll, I think, you know, will be a nice, he's a good a egg. nice man. Yeah, yeah. He's a good egg. Um, but yeah, but at this point in his life, you know, he's forgetting to pick up his dry cleaning and like Jesus. Ruining. Okay, this this was okay. Spoiler alert for my Hall of Fame. I'll just do it now because we're on it. I had Hall of Fame moment for how little has changed over the ages because John Truett was playing basketball and he missed picking up his tux. Oh my gosh, it was such a seventeen year old boy moment. Like I you had one believe. job, pick it up I before know. you play basketball. I know. Or play tomorrow. How yeah, about that? Seriously. I am like that he very nearly sabotaged Esther's last dance in St. Louis over basketball. I know. He not like recognizing the emotional significance of that. Apparently mm. not. Um mm. but I'm also certain that this event <laughs> Maybe replace basketball with Fortnite. I don't know. Has happened to someone somewhere every year, every prom season. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Since like 1944. Like I'm certain that this has happened. So for sure. That's a teaser for. Yeah. No, and I also a, love total Esther. spoiler. Because Esther was like, I so relate to this. He's like, well, go find the taser yeah. and wake him up. Like, he's like, I don't know where he lives. I'm like, and she's like, knock on all the doors. Yeah. Oh, and oh, just Judy's amazing comedic timing in this and just like how funny and how sad she is when she says oh john i don't hate you yeah, i just hate, hate basketball. basketball yeah <laughs> oh yeah like oh, i oh my gosh yeah even through all the tears in this movie because there are a lot you know some more warranted than than others it's the humor is always behind it except mm -hmm. of course when we get to a very sad christmas sequence yes, yes. 
once she gets back from the party where we hear this song. And it, it, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the acting in that scene because mm-hmm. it is one of the more restrained songs in the movie. Yeah. It is very intimate and there's no, it's just two characters sitting yeah. across from each other looking out of a window. Yeah. And usually with all the other songs, I mean, they're on a trolley. Everyone's dancing. They're at a party where they sing like five songs and everyone is, you know, again, dancing. Yeah. So in this moment, it's just this very intimate song and it's pretty short. But kudos to to Judy for delivering it in such a like both hopeful, but also like struggling to find the hope herself kind yeah. of way oh yeah the and, look in her eye yeah and little little margaret o'brien mm-hmm. does she once the song starts she doesn't have any dialogue so she it, it's all reactions it's all mm-hmm. 2d's little emotions and she's holding her own against this superstar oh i know when she starts weeping i'm like oh, yeah yeah here we go oh yeah. my god mm-hmm. like the crying when she goes and she goes outside and destroys the the snowman, snowman yeah. and you know she's yelling like i'll kill them if i can't take them with me yeah, I know. which is like 2d classic 2d <laughs> and that is the the pivotal moment of the mm-hmm. story yeah. when finally they're hard-headed father witnesses this and finally gets how sad the whole family is because even she doesn't recognize yeah from the first second he tells them after that really traumatizing halloween yeah yeah they're all like trying to eat their cake like he's all like slicing it up it's like come on and it's like we can't eat we're depressed uh also uh i think it was oh he brings he brings home chocolates and his wife is immediately suspicious yeah he, he's yeah. like it, the delivery of let me find the line it was just because i bring you a present you think i've been up to something well i have <laughs> and I know. proudly announces to the family that they're all oh moving my and gosh and even the family because it's their father they you know they they, they are the the classic family dynamic of you know you don't really talk back to father but right. they are quantifying in their own way how sad they are about this move and i think it's not until tootie's unbridled sadness just like Mm -hmm. exploding out of her and esther's desperate attempt to try to calm her down and say new york is great everyone wants to move there we get to move there we get to be together and it's so great and you know coming off of john having proposed to her and her not knowing if they're going to be able to be together because of this move she's still struggling struggling to find these things to say to cheer up her sister that she doesn't really quite believe herself. Right. It's just such a sincere moment. And I think a lot of people think of this movie and they think of the trolley and yeah. everyone waving their hands and clapping and that it's a little bit silly, but there's so much heart in this movie. Yeah, there, yeah there's lots of poignant moments. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, why don't we take a quick break and then when we come back, we'll talk about Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Welcome back. Let's get into this Christmas classic. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is a 1944 song written by Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine for the MGM musical film Meet Me in St. Louis. Hugh Martin was an American musical theater and film composer who wrote the film's score and three of the famous songs featured in the movie, the first of which being the trolley song. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. 
Ding, ding, ding with the bell. And the second, The Boy Next Door. How can I ignore the boy next door? I love him more than I can say. And of course, have yourself a merry little Christmas. For most of his work, he may or may not have collaborated with songwriting partner Ralph Blaine, another American composer, lyricist, and performer. We'll come back to this later because there's some drama here. In 2007, we're, we're doing a time jump in the setup. In 2007, ASCAP, which as we all know, stands for the American <laughs> Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, published a list of the top 25 most performed holiday songs for the past five years with Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas on it. It came in third. Okay, Sarah, here comes the the game show segment of the song setup. Do you want to guess what the top two Christmas songs are that have been most popular? Oh, man, I suck at this kind of thing. Mm. Um, You know them. You love them. All I Want for Christmas is You. No. Eh. Sorry. Whoa. (laughs) It's a little more old school than that. Okay, so so we're we're going back in time. We are not, but uh, for this, but I, that's my hint to you. I told you how much I suck at this kind of thing. I would never, you could not, no, actually you could pay me to go on a game show. Um, I just would never collect the prize money on the game show. Okay. I I don't know if we have that kind of budget here at the song. We'll go on, but we'll Um, work on it. Well, is it? Is it anything that was newsworthy this year? Am I? No. So it's not even no. Brenda Lee's Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. No. Okay. Although yeah, I know that that caused quite the stir on oh, TikTok. Oh, really did. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the top two are Winter Wonderland and The Christmas Song. Okay, sure. Yep. Yes. And uh, in 2004, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> Have yourself a merry little Christmas. We haven't even opened the bottle. Is that like a weird Sean Connery impression? (laughs) Also, in 2004, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas finished number 76 in the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Songs list, which ranks the top songs in American cinema. In the film, as we've discussed, Judy Garland's character sings the song to kind of try to cheer up her younger sister who's upset about having to move away from St. Louis. The song appears in quite an emotional scene in the early hours of Christmas Day and just days before the family is set to move. In fact, initially the lyrics were even more depressing, but Judy Garland intervened and asked for some more hopeful lyrics. So here's the story in the songwriter Martin's own words from an interview with NPR in 2010. He said, The original version was so lugubrious. How's that for an SAT word? Mm -hmm. Was so lugubrious that Judy Garland refused to sing it. She said, if I sing that, little Margaret will cry and they'll think I'm a monster. She did cry already, but you know. But in a different way, in a different way. Context is everything. Yes, yes. Uh, Martin continues, so I was young then and kind of arrogant. And I said, well, I'm sorry you don't like it, Judy, but that's the way it is. And I don't want to write a new lyric. But Tom Drake, who played the boy next door, took me aside and said, Hugh, you've got to finish it. It's a really great song, potentially, and I think you'll be sorry if you don't do it. So I went home and I wrote that version that's in the movie. So let's get into some lyric changes. For example, Martin's original lyrics were, Have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. Next year, we may all be living in the past. And that became, Let your heart be light. Next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. Yeah, a little little better. (laughs) 
lyrics such as, Through the years, we all will be together if the fates allow. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow, resonated with much of the American public, as well as with the troops abroad fighting in World War II. Judy Garland made an appearance at the Hollywood Canteen, which was a club for enlisted men and women where they could eat, drink, and dance for free. Celebrities would often visit to perform and serve food. She sang this song, and it's reported that many soldiers were brought to tears. While some lines may have given people some solace, this was all still too depressing by Frank Sinatra's standards, who included the song on his 1957 Christmas album. He asked Martin to write a new lyric for the line, until then we'll have to muddle through somehow. Quoting Sinatra, he told Martin, the name of my album is A Jolly Christmas. <laughs> Do you think you could jolly up that line for me? Right! Yeah. <laughs> so as you know, that line became, hang a shining star upon the highest bough. He also changed the tense of the song. Garland's is looking forward to a happier time in the future, but Sinatra's was changed to present tense to reflect a current happy holiday. Here's how that sounds. Hang a shining star upon the highest bar. I love that one. I'll, I'll cop to that. Garland's version reached number 27 on the Billboard charts. It's been recorded by some of the greats, Sinatra, of course, as we mentioned. Bing Crosby, Doris Day, Ella Fitzgerald, James Taylor, Coldplay, <laughs> Josh Groban, Keisha Cole, Phoebe Bridgers, John Legend, to name a few. But first, we'll talk about the Judy version. Let's get into it. So, Sarah, what is your connection to this song? Which is sort of a silly question because I think, yeah. I don't want to speak for you, but I cannot personally remember the first time yes, I heard this song. I, no, that's exactly yeah. what I wrote. I was like, if this is a song that feels like it existed since the beginning of time right you know i mean it's existed as long as i have been on this earth um it has and i mean i think like any true great works of art like it has that quality of like like i said like a it existing forever but then also fresh and new each time um you listen to it yeah because there are some christmas songs that you know of course there's the more religious coded ones mm. that feel like they <laughs> are centuries old and then there are the happy you know the rocking around the christmas trees right. even though th those are quite old songs but they have sort of a a, a, a jollier uh, sense to them but this song i think fits somewhere in, in between. between for sure yeah and yeah. it's sort of at least in the terms of you and i both used to work retail so in yes. the terms of annoying Christmas, or I should say annoying holiday music, this one I think is usually pretty acceptable no matter whose it, rendition yeah, we are listening to. The song, uh, it appears about 13 minutes from the end of the movie, mm -hmm. which I think is pretty interesting. It's also the movie's low point. We have a very fast resolution to this movie. Oh yeah, things get tied up. <laughs> very quickly. Uh, we already discussed the scene, but just a, a quick little recap. They perform this song. Then Tootie has her emotional reaction to, to moving by destroying the s snowman in the backyard. And then the father decides, actually, we won't 
move away from St. Louis. And it's as easy as that <laughs> to solve all the family's I problems. Know. Like he's like, oh, I'll just, you know, go into work. I'll have a really quick chat. Like, I mean, like we put you in charge of the whole East Coast company. Yeah. You think it would be a bigger deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is not worried about losing this job. So I get you know. I know. So it was like, it was really that simple. Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad all, all of this could have been avoided a lot earlier, but at least we got this lovely song out of it. We talked about how lovely this scene is from an acting standpoint from both of the characters in the scene. But I wanted to, and I think I wanted to talk a little bit about how sad this song is. <laughs> Mentioned a little bit in the song setup about these lyrical changes, but it's also, I think the the performance is also part of what makes it either a sad song or a happy Christmas sure, song. Sure. And let's use uh, Frank Sinatra's rendition as an example. So here is what his Hang a Shining Star Upon the Highest Bow sounds like. Hang a shining star upon the highest And now, even though there is a lyrical change with the muddle through somehow, this is Judy Garland performing that exact same line at the exact same point of the song. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. I think that even if she was singing Hang a Shining Star Upon the Highest Bow, if you give the performance that yeah. she was giving, you would still feel total despair. Mm -hmm. There would be uh, an ironic qual quality to mm -hmm. hanging a shining mm -hmm. star. You know, the, the performance, like, I love when a song can have so many different interpretations. Sure. And I think that yeah. while I understand Frank wanting to have a jolly Christmas and the fact that that is the popularized version and... When people do a cover of it, that's the version that they hear. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I I still just mm -hmm. want everybody to give kudos to Judy in this mm -hmm. moment because this really is her maybe at her best. And I just love the way that she performs the yeah, hell out of she, this song. Yeah, she just she it, it's a beautiful vocal performance um in terms of her you know her technique and like that vibrato like the classic vibrato you know oof, you know but then she tells a story with the song like and she's so emotionally connected to it it's just uh it like packs a wall up every time like i don't know like list both listening to the song on its own or seeing the scene in the movie like i always am just like you know like i i well up a little bit i just you know you get just taken away with it it's and I think there's something to like, you know, yes, uh, you know, uh, a happy, you know, jolly version of this song a la, you know, Frank Sinatra is, you know, welcome. I just, oh, there's just something about this original version. And there's something about, I mean, what I was kind of alluding to about why I picked the song, about acknowledging that kind of pain um, that can be mixed into the holidays and even the way that like the song where it's placed in the film with Margaret O'Brien because mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like while Judy does try to cheer up Margaret 
after the song, I feel like with the song in the moment, she's acknowledging the hard feelings. Yeah, the the have yourself a merry little mm-hmm. Christmas is said with maybe there's a twinge of hope, but there's also the understanding that they are not having a merry yeah, Christmas. Yeah, exactly. And that also that I, I think like at least the way Judy Garland performs it is like it's okay like Mm -hmm. this is where we are now like it doesn't feel like you know like I just feel like in any other you know film of the time you would have someone who like you it would be a song like let me distract you and make you feel better she's like no no no, it's okay that you're feeling this way right now I mean it sucks but this is where we are yeah there's definitely an honesty to the song and her performance of it for sure Mm -hmm. granted I mean there is something in the instrumentation of the way of both of the songs franks has the swelling chorus Mm -hmm. and his classic delivery that sounds like he's singing through a smile and there's none of that in judy there's like a glass of whiskey in one hand a cigarette in the other you know i'm like ooh. and with with judy's (laughs) classic vibrato like she uses it even in the happiest of songs but it, it it is practically wailing it's like there's a deep ache in it and there is like like the only the only like sound I can make I can't even like have words I'm just always like oh yeah what can I, like the song <laughs> and yeah. growing up because I watched this so young I knew that this song came from this musical and I was like I like Judy's version because I loved Judy Garland as a as a kid and I was like why does no one listen to this version and now dissecting it I think I get it <laughs> like I do. I do think that it could be a comfort because the holidays, like you said, are a really tough time for a lot of people. You know, families are complicated. (laughs) Celebrations like this are complicated. But I can see why maybe this isn't everyone's first play on Christmas radio after Mariah Carey. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I mean, I have a really eclectic playlist and this is on it. I And I support uh, that and I support you. <laughs> Thank you. Because yeah. um, I like to just go everywhere with my moods. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Got to keep them on their toes. Really and truly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's another lyrical change that I wanted to discuss. All right. And I'm not sure how much water this holds, but the uh, the lead singer of the Christian band New Song said that they had met the songwriter and he had told him that the line uh, if the fates allow was a rewrite and it was allegedly originally if the Lord allows and apparently they were asked to change it because they wanted to downplay the religious connotation using the word Lord which is kind of a funny request for a Christmas song but okay Uh, okay I'm listening so I wonder I was having a little think if maybe a reason for the change might be that they wanted to end on allow versus allows which would make a more satisfying rhyme with the next line that's just my speculation Uh, so apparently new song was very proud about recording or not recording they did I couldn't find a clip of this but they uh, performed the song with Martin on piano in church and they sang it the real Lord Christian way. I, Amen. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. That's a fun anecdote um, for everybody. Okay. Sure. Yeah, sure. Why yeah. not? So I, I promised some drama with this song. Let's dive into it. So uh, he, Hugh Martin and Ralph Blaine worked together on a lot of songs. They've both been credited together. And 
apparently that may not have been the case. So Martin claimed in his autobiography that he wrote all of the music and lyrics to all of the songs of Meet Me in St. Louis. And all of the, here's a quote, all of the so-called Martin and Blaine songs, except for Buckled Down, Winsaki, in Best Foot Forward. I don't know what I just read. <laughs> was allegedly written by me solo without any help from Ralph or anybody else. So by what Hugh Martin is saying now is that this guy who was hanging out with him all this time didn't do any work on hardly anything except he just for gave one him song. a byline for no reason. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, he explained that he allowed equal credit, uh, quote, I was reasonably content to let him receive equal screen credit, sheet music credit, AC. ASCAP, remember we learned that acronym earlier, oh, royalties, etc. mainly because this bizarre situation was caused by my naive and atrocious lack of business acumen. Oh, so, so he was is, just like, I'm, I'm. So this is a Taylor Swift, Scooter Braun situation Ooh. is what he's alleging. Yes. Okay. okay. Yes. I, I really is, like that analogy. You're so welcome. That's what yeah. I'm here for. Um, <laughs> This so, is like very E true Hollywood story, right? It now. is. <laughs> and this came out quite quite a deal later. Yeah. So <laughs> it it seems like Blaine's main uh claim to this song is that at one point Martin had decided that he didn't like the song and it he had just begun with the melody and was like, eh, you know what? Never mind. I can't wake it make it work. And he threw it in the trash can. And then Blaine had already heard him playing it and told him, like, no, that's good. You should keep working on it. And he found it in the trash can. So, I mean, I think that deserves some credit. Yeah, it's like, you know, like if you were writing a script and you gave someone a story by, mm -hmm. right? Is yeah, that a yeah, fair yeah. analogy? Okay. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're mm. going to take Hugh Martin's story on all of this in everything that they're credited on together, <laughs> except for what was it again? Buckle down Winsaki in Best Foot Forward, which is everyone's favorite. Oh, yeah. Uh, mine too. 1943 <laughs> American musical film. Oh, with Lucille Ball. Okay. Oh, hey. oh, okay. Okay. I recognize the poster now. I'm looking at it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, besides that one song, seemingly, uh, Hugh Martin did all the work. Wow. So, um, shots fired. Seriously. I'm finding it sort of hard to talk about this song yeah, because I've heard it every <laughs> year mm. thousands of times. You mm. know, it doesn't just live in within this movie. Right. I mean, I, I guess that's what we love so much about movie songs is that they really find new life. And this song, I think a lot of people wouldn't know that this came from this musical. Yeah, you know, well, I feel like people within film circles probably do. And Readers of your blog, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ooh. And I do feel like there was a point in time where maybe this movie was um, kind of part of more of the uh, Christmas film canon, if you will. And I feel like maybe in more recent years it's just kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. But yes. yeah, I mean, this song has a life of its own, which is a real you know testament to its melody and its lyricism and even Judy Garland's performance. And, you know, and then, I mean, yeah, like you said, like thousands of people have re recorded this song. <laughs> so many it's people. like the list like, is insane. I, when I was looking up like, oh, should I play any of these covers? It became... <laughs> 
like overwhelming. A to- truly, because yeah. anybody who has recorded a Christmas album probably has, has included this song. on there. Yeah. I mean, and that's even, a lot of people. Even most recently, Sabrina Carpenter. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And I bet you she didn't perform this song in a church. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> She, do you think she included the uh, the Lord, if the Lord allows <laughs> version? <laughs> uh, for some reason, I just don't think so. Yeah. So uh, one thing that's interesting is Garland's version of this song was ranked number 27 on the Billboard charts. Since then, with all of the covers of this song, it hasn't been in the Billboard charts until Sam Smith's rendition a couple mm. years back. And it's kind of a big deal to get a Christmas cover on the Billboard Hot 100. Sure. Like, sure, Josh Groban will get it on the U.S. Adult Contemporary charts. Sure, maybe it'll be on a pop chart if Kelly Clarkson does it. I don't know why I pulled out Kelly Clarkson. I think I just knew that she did a cover of this yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that that is a that is a pretty big feat to get it on the Billboard Hot 100. And here's a little bit of what Sam Smith's version sounds like. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. I'm going to also have to correct myself there. This was not a couple years ago. This came out nine years ago. Oopsie. Whoa, oh my gosh. It's almost a 10 year old. Yeah. It's almost a decade. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, darn, I should have done it next year for the 10 year anniversary. But I actually, you know, on another listen of this song, I think that you can draw more comparisons to Judy's rendition than to Frank's in this. Like, it's a much more intimate performance. I could believe that they could be singing to (laughs) an upset five year old girl. I don't know. With a lot of vocal styling, I'd be like, okay, uh, Sam, calm down. But uh, I won't pretend that, you know, I can analyze their voices and, and draw a comparison to Judy Garland. But I do think that even though they're going with the Frank Sinatra lyrics in this version. Which I also just think people know more. People definitely do know it more. And I'm not going to lie, like it, it sounds better. It. Hang a shining star upon the highest bow. Like we get to I, answerable questions. Oh ooh, my god, we're just gonna have like oh you're gonna man, hate me on so many fight. different levels. <laughs> well, I personally, I I re- I quite like that line. Within the movie, I absolutely will fight for muddle through somehow because that is what the Smith family has got to do. But I I think that there is a little bit of sadness in this performance. There like is for sure. Yeah, he is channeling that. Mm-hmm. That Judy is too. Yes, for sure. And this is back when Sam Smith wore the suits like very, you know, like kind of the old school. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to say old Hollywood, but the crooner kind of vibe, which I feel like any any singer who is like has that kind of vocal prowess, like even Lady Gaga has gone through that phase with with Tony, Tony Bennett. Yes. Yeah. It's so I mean, I just always love that when like someone like dips into their Yeah. Their American standards. (laughs) I know. Like (laughs) cut to the mommy don't know. Daddy's (laughs) going <laughs> but you know what? Exactly. We love someone who can do both. Exactly. That's what we need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a gift. It's truly a gift. <laughs> okay, so this 
the Judy Garland's song slash the scene mm. from Meet Me in St. Louis is featured in another Christmas movie called <gasps> The Family Stone. Oh, which is okay. actually what I saw of the of Meet Me in St. Louis more than before I actually went. And okay, saw the movie. okay. So that was my first um, introduction into Judy Garland's. Um, acting performance of the song mm. and it comes at a, a really pivotal moment in that film that's kind of uh, emotionally resonant in the same way that it is between Judy and Margaret um, where the family stone is about a family in Massachusetts that's gathered around for a Christmas celebration that ends up becoming more weighty than they originally imagined because their mom's cancer comes back and the oldest daughter, it's Christmas Eve, and it's, you know, a moment where there's just been a lot of some drama that's very warranted and some other drama that's not warranted <laughs> that's happened over the course of this evening. And the oldest daughter, played by Elizabeth Reeser, who I think most of, I would say, listeners probably recognize her as Esme from the Twilight series. Mm. Um, She's sitting on the couch watching this movie, and she's... At this scene, she's having the realization that this might be the last Christmas with her mom and mm. the family together, like as it's been. And so, you know, Judy's singing the song to Margaret, but she's also kind of singing it to Elizabeth. And I'm like getting emotional just thinking oh. about because it's just like it's so impactful on like both levels. And now having seen Meet Me in St. Louis, I'm like the like the emotional impact of like both moments like playing simultaneously yeah. and the song going over because the Judy Garland song then plays over a series of vignettes of all of the different characters in their different mm. where they are. And yeah, it's, it's that, really that's beautiful. a great use mm. of, you know, taking something from another context yeah. and being able mm -hmm. to apply it. It And it's also, you know, it's not just like doing a needle drop and being like, this yeah. happy song is actually sad, you guys. You know, like it is it has an understanding of the original context of the song and exactly. is using that original context to uh, underscore what they what they want to uh, focus on with that movie. Not that I'm super familiar with it. Oh my gosh, I also highly recommend it as well. Okay. I had a brief moment of, <laughs> of terror when you were describing the movie and I was like, oh my God, is this that Jennifer Aniston movie where like that one man has had sex with like the three generations of women? Oh Dude, my what God. What movie am I talking oh, about? Oh, you're thinking about the pseudo sequel to um, The Graduate. That's, um. oh, what is the name of that movie? It's, um, oh, it's with Shirley MacLaine. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Kevin is it Costner. Rumor Has It? Rumor Has It, yeah. Which Jeez. is also so funny because it like takes place in Pasadena and South Pasadena. That's right. That's right. And so it's like shot around the area. Oh, my God. So, I do like, not know why yeah. the families don't, which I absolutely like know of as a movie. I was just like, oh, this is that family at all. <laughs> which Rumor Has It is also like not a Christmas movie. Rumor Has It is also like, I feel Speak like. Speak for yourself every <laughs> Christmas. My family wears matching pajamas and we watch Rumor we Has It. together and we watch, watch Jennifer Aniston go, this isn't The Graduate, this is Deliverance. Sarah, I've Sarah, also seen Sarah, this movie Sarah I just Googled it. Guess when this movie was released? Um, 2005? 2005, but what date? Oh my God, say it's December 25th. Yes! Oh, Rumor no. has it as a Christmas movie. Oh my God. I just also can't believe they thought that that movie would do well at that time, like in the year, because it's like, it's not a big blockbuster. It's not like, I guess it's counter programming, 
But it's so like you if I've like I've this is a movie that I have just strangely like I've just caught it on TV so many times. Like, it's not a movie like I've sought out, but I just suddenly just sit and and I and I watch this movie in awe because I'm like this movie like should work and it doesn't work with like everyone involved. We're getting into this film. Yeah, well, this this really pivoted. I think the main takeaway of this podcast is that rumor has it is a Christmas movie. Even though it very much takes place in the spring. Uh, okay, anyway. uh, <laughs> Why? Oh, God, I I, I want to like pause this recording and, and look up what decisions were made for marketing to put that movie at that time. I, I guess they were like the childless aunt has to doesn't doesn't want to see like Jack Frost or whatever. Well, yeah, so she's going to go to this always something, theater. right? Because it's always like it's always like and like now it's like you got a Marvel. You've got like. Aquaman is coming out this yeah, this exactly. holiday season. And then yeah. you've got like, you know, like you're really hard hitting like Oscar movie, but then you kind of like want uh, like I remember there was one year, what was that movie? Uh the Johnny Depp who we don't even talk about anymore because of whole um Pirates of the Caribbean. No, it's not a blockbuster because I'm like it's kind of like a nothing film. Um Chocolat. <laughs> you shut your mouth about chocolate. Yeah. That is a comfort film for me. Okay. Um it's the one where he's uh JM Barry who wrote Peter Pan. Oh, Finding Neverland. Yeah, exactly. Like but that's Christmas so like, adjacent. Yeah, like there's so whimsy. Like, so there's like it's like that little bit of counter program. It's like families can go to it who don't want to see like a Christmas Christmas movie, but they don't want to watch a hard hitting Oscar movie or they don't want to watch a shoot 'em up. Okay, this one's for like, yeah, wh- horny aunt. Yeah, exactly. He's like gonna go have a margarita after. Yeah. Oh my god. But I kind of like have a chardonnay. Honestly, think that's honestly kind of the best life. But just you need a better movie for it. <laughs> Should uh, I just go to answerable questions now? <laughs> We've lost the plot. We've lost it completely. Hal, <laughs> who's gonna be like, what the fuck is yeah. this? He's like, okay. are you telling you the what the fuck moment was letting Sarah? And Sophie hosts his podcast. Yeah, he's going to be like, okay, this is the last time I leave you to your own devices. <laughs> okay, let's just dive into answerable questions because we got some good stuff here. Sarah, let's start. Seven seconds in heaven. What seven seconds from the song gives you goosebumps? Oh, you know, I feel like it's an easy one. It's mm-hmm. the beginning moment with the music box trilling. <laughs> Opening moment. Yeah. Okay, you're pulling a Paolo Grassini. He always picks the opening moment. Oh, well, that's what I'm here for. Okay, I love that. Just call me Paolo. Yeah. <laughs> Sing to me, Paolo. <laughs> You'll remember from our, our last episode together. All right, here's here's my seven seconds. Next year all our troubles will be miles away. I know I picked kind of a hopeful part of the song. I think I was, the, the song is quite short. It is. So coming up with seven seconds, first of all, was impossible because you can't complete a sentence in seven seconds. <laughs> so that one, I think, went over quite a bit. They just take so long to say everything. But I, I, I liked that little glimmer of a hope. Favorite lyric. Each host sheds light on their favorite lyrics. Sarah, what's yours? Well, I'm going to have to disagree with a Frank Sinatra. Uh-oh. But I really like Until Then, We'll Have to Meddle Through Somehow. Mm, you went full sad. I did. Well, you know, I don't know. Like, I like I think that I just keep saying I like the acknowledgement right. of the mix of feelings at this time of year. And, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I'll speak for myself. But I've had some, you know, sadder Christmases than others. Of course. Not 
consistently across the board. <laughs> I was like, mm. but yeah, I totally know that feeling of, you know, muddling through, you know, like you're just kind of like going through the motions of it. And also, I think on another note, I think if you ever work in retail all your life, we're just getting through it. Like, yep. <laughs> yes. And then you like collapse on Christmas, you know. <laughs> I do so. think also, to your point, acknowledging that there is something to muddle through, but not being explicit with it is yes. quite important because actually the original, original lyrics were have yourself a merry little Christmas, pop that champagne cork. Next year, we may all be living in New York. Yeah. I mean, that's just not relatable across the board. It almost takes some of the sadness out of it mm -hmm. to be like, we're moving to New York. Like, we've already discussed that multiple times within the movie. I've heard characters talk about that. Yeah. I think having a song that's a little bit less on the nose sure. makes yeah. It just adds that emotion to it because it's it, in a way, yes, we're acknowledging that we have to muddle through, but we're not explicitly saying. Also, you know. that's such a like just the sounds of the words like to that melody. Mm. With Judy, I can't even imagine it. Mm -hmm. Like the champagne. Cork. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? <laughs> I, I just what is that? Yeah. And it would definitely I don't think that it would have become what it became Not if it was all. specific to that yeah, moment. I think it would have been gone. It also would make the song non-diegetic. Like it would feel like we're taking a break from talking and I'm singing this song that's very, very specific to our situation that believably is not a song that I would be singing to you in in real life you know like mm -hmm. if a song is so on the nose about what is going on you're sort of like well then that's not right that's not actually happening within the world right my favorite lyrics are someday soon we all will be together if the fates allow like with yours it 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 allows for that question mm -hmm. of if it will happen uh i also just like i I like Judy's delivery of if the fates allow. Yeah. I like that as a lyric. I'm taking a stand against the the Lord lyric, I guess. I'm, I'm sorry, Hugh Martin. Um, but that's I'm sticking to it. Hall of Fame moment. Who or what had their best moment in pop culture with this movie and or song? It can be a person, a studio, a film, music genre, whatever you like. Sarah, you got one? Uh, this was a Hall of Fame moment for baby doll cemeteries. Hell yeah, it was. If they ended up moving, Tootie was going to be very busy digging up all those dolls. I know, because she would have to, yeah, take them out, pack them away safely, <laughs> and then rebury them again. Yeah, because they're dead. Yeah, and they're, yeah. <laughs> they are. They're decaying. You know? I love that this family accepts that Tootie will play with the doll and then it will Idiot. die. <laughs> and it goes in the ground. Well, it has a, a lifespan, you know? Yeah. Shorter as we humans. all do, yeah. as we all do. <laughs> I already <laughs> used my Hall of Fame moment earlier about John Truitt playing basketball <laughs> instead of getting his tux and taking Esther to the dance and then having the gall to propose to her after. It's a lot. Like, he's like, oh, I know that I nearly completely fucked this up, but do you want to marry me? Yeah. Perhaps. Also, and I do love when Judy's like, she's like, yeah, yes, but. And then like, and then as they start talking through it, she's like, and 
you know, we, we are so young. And like, yeah. reminded of like, yes, she's in her last year of high school. She's like, literally you know, 16 so, years old. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. They're like, we can live together. We can da-da-da. Our parents may not understand. Yeah. <laughs> Just because it's Judy Garland and like maybe this song in particular of most of her songs, it's a Hall of Fame moment for vibrato. Oh, Like yes. there is not a thing that, not a note that she delivers in this song that isn't vibrating all over the place all the time and i'm here for every second yeah and then last one we i've used all of mine earlier (laughs) but it is a it is truly a hall of fame moment for child acting it really is because i i would be hard-pressed to think of another movie where a seven-year-old delivered such an amazing performance as margaret o'brien like Mm -hmm. Her timing is perfect. She She's in on the joke. So many of her lines went over my head when I watched this movie when I was probably the same age, age. as her. Yeah. <laughs> like, we we open on her. Her parents don't know where she is, first of all. They're like, oh, I bet she's on the ice wagon. And then, which she is. Yeah, which They're she is. They're not wrong. They're, They're like, are. they know her. Yeah. And she has her doll, and she's talking about how she doesn't have long left to live. Yeah, because <laughs> she's also I will say I mean that was like the part where I was like oh yes yes like I was that child like I remember after reading The Velveteen Rabbit and I was sick with a cold I started saying goodbye to all of my stuffed animals in the room because I was like oh the boy had to say he got scarlet fever and he had to burn all his stuffed animals and my Mm. mom called me and was like what are you doing and I was like we have to give them away they have the sickness (laughs) there was a part a period of time where like I know I didn't pray before bed, but I, I, you know, there's the like, if I should die before I wake da, da, da. <laughs> yeah. and I, and I would acknowledge that like, I might not wake up and then I would consider what my last words should Is be. And then I crazy? would say them out loud and then I would go to bed. <laughs> That is and I did dark. this for years. That's incredible. Also, like, is it wild that like a normal, like childhood prayer is acknowledging your mortality, which I guess start him young they, they've got to know they got to learn <laughs> which also they don't like, have a lot of time left which also is my other thing with like with because i like we said like you know kids are like you know into dark things but she is so specifically into death in such a hardcore way that i'm like did grandpa like let it slip one day about death or did somebody die close to them and suddenly she's just like it's all i can think about I, maybe it was grandma, grandma. it yeah. was grandma yeah. we figured it out the yeah. given circumstances our grandma died <laughs> yeah right before this movie yeah started. yes there's layers to this okay so usually next is remix where we talk about what today's current artists or bands we would choose to perform this song but basically everybody has performed this song so i thought we should talk about our favorite renditions so sarah do you have a favorite cover of this song oh my god i feel like you're gonna hate me again okay i'm ready listened to so many versions of the song leading up to recording this episode but mm-hmm. like nothing does it for me like judy's does like okay I, that's a cop-out but i'll accept no, no, it no. i mean i will say like if i was like if someone put a gun to my head like i'm pulling a 2d like someone put a gun to my yeah. head like, <laughs> we're gonna die if you don't pick one um i think i would pick ingrid michelson because she does a really mm. um stripped down version of the song like it's a really simple beautiful orchestration have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the old tide gay. She 
also like I think some of my issues with some of the versions is a lot of uh, pop vocalists will like want to like really like do a lot of vocal styling and sometimes I'm just like let the song speak for itself like I yeah, don't know I, me, I, I'm boring I have a clip for you soon um, yeah. yeah so <laughs> Ingrid Michaelson just the song speak for itself and she also has a really um rich beautiful voice and so she just like lets it be and I was like you know what I feel like Judy would be proud okay yeah I I can see how her version would do justice to the the intention of of, of Judy's version of the song Mine, I I pivoted a little bit. Okay. Because I I will listen to Luther Vandross sing anything, and here is his rendition. From now I mean, I I could listen to that forever. It's like the end credit song of a 90s romantic comedy, mm. and I kind of respect it for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I see it. WTF, a moment from the movie or song that you think might have needed a second opinion. Do you have anything? Um, Grandpa admitting that he keeps 12 guns in his bedroom. Yeah. Was, I couldn't get over that moment. I was like, for me personally, one is too many, but he's just like, don't worry, girls. I'll keep you safe. I have... Well, the guns in my bedroom. Like you can't I, even use all of those at uh, once. Yeah. I mean, I don't know a lot about guns. What are they all for? Why that many? I'm now scared of grandpa. Like I'd be really worried about him being in the house after that <laughs> confession. <laughs> I I just went simple with it and I knew that we would talk about this to death. It's that Halloween yeah. stuff. Sure. Yeah. I don't I also all the, the costumes that everybody chose, like like everyone's in drag. I guess they all just put on their mom's clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a lot of like looks like a like a fireplace suit, you know? Like they're just like they just like pancake on. Well, a, a terrible ghost, a horrible ghost and a terrible drunken ghost would I guess be dirty. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um also just from a production standpoint, how close they let that little girl get to that bonfire. Like, I'm pretty sure that that was a real fire. Oh my right? gosh. I think about <laughs> it all the time when I'm watching a, like an older film and you're watching a child actor or an animal actor. I'm like, oh my God, like, what did they do? Yeah, Like, like there are no guidelines in place. <laughs> also, like, I'm just assuming that all of the clothes are just like whatever they did so to like flammable. process the clothes they're probably covered so in like flammable. something flammable yeah she's wearing all these rags that are hanging off of her the flames are licking like you know it, it i was just like she's gonna go up yeah she's gonna go up and smoke i mean granted this is obviously way before cgi but it's also like cgi now like is still like not that great with flames and so very like, true i'm always i'm just like oh my god anytime i see fire yeah someone called a fire brigade yes okay <laughs> unsung hero who or what is the pick for your unsung hero of the song or film? A great contribution that has gone underrated. I'm going to say the character Lucille because she, ah. yeah, we're really trash talking her, you know. And I mean, I understand like from, you know, Esther and Rose's and even Lon's, uh, short for Alonzo. Everyone is Alonzo. Yeah. Unclear uh, of Grandpa is Alonzo. They just call him Grandpa. I know. Let's just assume. I'm then, going to assume that he's, yeah. he's also Alonzo. Then he would be not Lon Jr., but. Alonzo third. third. Okay. Also, anyway. Alonzo <laughs> Smith. What a what a what a name. I know. It really pivots there. It really does. Yeah. Okay. Lucille 
reveals a great amount of emotional maturity when she shows up at the dance with Warren mm. and is like, look, I don't like Warren. Rose, you like Warren. Warren likes you. I like Lon. Lon likes me. What are we doing here? Let's dance. <laughs> yeah, she, she's, she's a good one. Yeah. My unsung hero is for the costume designer, baby. The amazing mm. Irene Sheriff. Yes. Sheriff. I'm not sure to pronounce her last name, um, but she's an Armenian-American. Mom, are you listening? My mom always loves Armenian people doing things. Um, she's an Armenian-American and queer designer for the screen and stage, particularly for musicals. And she won a total of five Oscars for, let's see, um, An American in Paris, The King and I, West Side Story, Cleopatra, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And that's just scratching the surface of the credits. Yeah, like those insane. are just the Oscar winners. Yeah, exactly. Not all the nominations. Not like, and her career is so extensive. Um, oh my gosh, but that was like during the studio system, we're like, you are the one designer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I guess now that I think about it, if she was nominated for all those Oscars, she's a, a pretty, she she is a sung hero, but but I did not know her name. Well, I was not familiar. Yeah, so. I think unless like, you know, outside of, you know, the costume fashion world, like, yes. you know, regular people, like we don't, yeah, we, we don't know. I'm just yeah. a little dum-dum. I don't know. We don't sing her phrases <gasps> But enough. my favorite outfits in the movie are probably Esther's party outfit. The mm. I, I, It looks like a dress, but I think it's actually a skirt and a jacket with the tassels on it and that beautiful blue that just looks oh, amazing yeah. on her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other one is Rose's um, chartreuse outfit with the black and white striped tie, like oh, little yeah, tiny nice. tie and, and um, belt. It's fabulous. I want to wear everything in this movie well yeah too. and i just feel like she also utilizes all the color so well oh, like, you know, the, the, the technicolor yeah like it's just like one of those films where it's just it's like so joyful to look at it is it, it is a visual delight yeah okay here's a weird one is this a car song anyone no one can define it but everyone knows it when they hear it is this a song to listen to in the car sarah okay so, I mean, I know that we say no one can define it. I would say that generally we do attempt to define it as mm -hmm. a song that like we blast with the windows down. Yes. We're like rocking out. Like, yeah. It's generally something epic, something fun. Mm -hmm. I would argue it is a car song, but ah. not in that way. Okay. This is like, okay. you've had a long day. Yes. It's December. You got off your retail shift. Yeah. And you're like. You know, oof, you're tired. I mean, maybe you deal with someone who old difficult, and you might be feeling a little cheery, and you put the song on, and then, but then you see all the Christmas lights, and the, you know, and the songs swelling over those Christmas lights, and you know, those tears start to fall, but it's really cathartic, and you mm. feel better mm. after it. That is a very specific image I was that you painted. Say, I know. I, was like, I support that. <laughs> um, that being said, my answer is no. This is not a car song. <laughs> this is a um, a fireside song, perhaps. Sure, sure, yeah. This is a wistful window uh, song. Um, a wistful window. Song, yes, yes. Looking out of said window yes. was implied. Um, but there are plenty of renditions of this song that are car songs. <laughs> sure. That's yes. That's so true. Yes. And this brings us to will the song go on? Will the song live on and continue to be part of pop culture? What do you think, Sarah? The song has gone on yes. and it will go on and on and, and on, on and on. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? Just a couple days ago, 
at the time of this recording, Demi Lovato put out uh, a Christmas special, a holiday special that I I didn't know was a thing that people still did, but I love that. And it is called a Very Demi Holiday Special. And they performed this song with my girl, Jojo. Oh, yes. And if you you might not like this because they they are doing the most, but here is what that sounds like. I am biased because I love Jojo very, very much. Well, you um, know what? I'll say I'll allow it because mm-hmm. they did just just the right amount. They didn't go overboard with it. It was mm-hmm. mostly belts and just a little tiny embellishment. Th- this is the very end of the song. So it came to, a, you know, there was a swelling and then a, mm-hmm. a, a come down from that. Mm-hmm. It was mostly contained. Did Demi go a little bit over? Maybe. that That's just a personal opinion. Um, <laughs> but I think that they... Their voices complemented each other yeah, very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's just to say each year we are going to get new renditions of the song. It's not getting old. I think that this might be of all the songs that we've covered on the song will go on. This is the one that is the most confident. Yes, the song will yeah. go on and it has gone yeah, on. Like it's no question. A thousand. Percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us oh my gosh, today. My pleasure. I said us. I mean me. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a pleasure, and I just love getting into the holiday spirit with you with this oh song. Gosh, me too. Can oh. you tell the people what you're up to, where they can find your writing and your oh. be- all the beautiful things that you do? Oh my goodness. Well, you know, you can find me at lemonholiday.com, and that is, again, lemon with two M's and two L's, because it's named after Jack Lemon and Judy Holiday, two wonderful classic film actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm not there, I'm also posting on the Instagram, which is the same, at lemonholiday. And that's it. That's me. That's amazing. All right. Well, Sarah, I'm sure that we will see you back on The Song Will Go On in the new year. Oh, But until then, enjoy your holidays. You too. And the folks at home, same to you. All right. Signing off for 2023. We'll see you in the new year. Bye. The Song Will Go On is written, researched, and produced by Sophie Matano and Paolo Garcia. Theme music is composed by William Russell. Consulting producers are JP Lee and Jonathan Fisher. Recording, editing, and mixing by Sophie Matano and Paolo Grassini. The Song Will Go On is a Gigawatts podcast. You can find Gigawatts on YouTube and on Instagram at gigawatts underscore YouTube.